0: drinking wine and watching birds is my kind of fun day and there's so many wineries we could e-bird a new one every day
1: thank you for tuning into hannah and eric go birding podcast by birders for birders
0: i'm hannah and he's eric
1: and we created this podcast to share adventures sometimes misadventures and opinions that we have on different birding topics we're definitely not experts and anything that we discuss that might be controversial i want you to remember their own opinions and they might be different from yours
0: so, I know there's other places in the U.S. where it has been extremely hot, and we had two days of summer here on the Oregon coast, and then plunged straight into fall.
1: Yeah, so we had we had two days, I think, what would we get up to? Almost 90, or a little over 90? It was almost for 90. this last Friday and Saturday. It was so hot, and I then got on my shorts. The wind shifted on Sunday, and we dropped down to 60, <laughs> yeah. and then Monday we had rain. Ugh. So, Back that, that was exciting.
0: Yeah. It was a nice <laughs> little summer.
1: So, summer's over, but it was fun. It was fun while it lasted.
0: Whereas in other places in the U.S., like I think Minnesota was over a hundred.
1: Yeah, no it's it's been it's been very very warm everywhere else in the country, except for we had we had two days of hot, but then everyone everyone else in the country has been dealing with this for weeks.
0: So if anybody needs a break, or uh, yeah, from Oregon the Oregon coast, <laughs> yeah,
1: that's where to go. You can come over here to get some rain.
0: <laughs> um, and talking about summer and that stuff, we have had a lot of tufted puffin walks that yeah. we've been
1: leading. Yeah, so we're we're doing tufted puffin walks, um, leaving from right here near the hotel, going out to the rock. Um, it, we're probably going at least twice a month. Yeah, um, when people are requesting, them, we're doing a little bit more frequently.
0: I think one week we had a puffin walk every single day.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was fun. It, it gives us an excuse to actually go out and look at the birds rather yeah. than we'll 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 spend sometimes weeks or. Even sometimes a month or two of not leaving the hotel, of just here and not not going to the beach and actually <laughs> looking at the stuff that's only like a block away.
0: And I love the power of a spotting scope. That you put a spotting yeah. scope on it, and everybody wants to look. Even, if, is...
1: even if we're not pointing, you pointed at the sand. Oh and, yeah, and totally. you just said spotting scope. What are you looking at? <laughs> it's like oh I'll I'll show you some cool stuff. Let's look at them.
0: Yeah. But it was fun. You know, we had some uh friends that came and asked us to to show them the puffins, some guests from the hotel. We had uh Seattle Audubon's youth camp come yeah. and join us for a walk down there. So, that was that was an awesome time. But, you know, it seems sort of puffin puffin numbers are down. Yeah. But it might be because there's no, I'm just
1: kidding. Cuz <laughs> cuz they're going over to Maine apparently. Apparently.
0: Yeah, if you all haven't heard there's been a rare bird alert of a tufted puffin in Maine.
1: Yeah, so they don't normally get tufted puffins. If you're familiar with puffins, they get Atlantic puffins, we get tufted puffins, and then the rare horned puffin. But you gotta hugely go north for those guys. Yeah. But they have a tufted puffin right now, so they're. They, I don't know if it's taken, still being seen. That's true. It might not be seen anywhere. But they they took our puffin. They, they took it and brought it over to the East Coast.
0: But it was so cool because how many times somebody had a picture of a tufted puffin and an Atlantic puffin? Yeah, the two of them next, next to each, to each other, other. Which was so cool because, like, however, how often do you ever get to see that, you know, not in a museum setting yeah. of all the, you know, skins of all the puffins? Yeah, and
1: a, the picture I saw really emphasized the size difference between mm-hmm. the Atlantic puffin and the tufted puffin, which yeah. definitely solidifies it in your mind that the tufted puffin is the largest of the three puffins. Yeah. So pretty cool. Cool. But give us back our puffin. Yeah. Give us our puffin back.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, So besides that, we, we also, we posted a a sweatshirt the other day on our social media. um, It says go birding with me. And um, just wanted to shout out that we have a store on bonfire and we'll post the link, but really the intention of (laughs) creating the store was this is silly? We wanted we wanted some swag that we could wear when we go to like festivals and stuff, and so I created it on Bonfire because that was going to be the easiest way to create it and then purchase it for ourselves.
1: It, it was the most cost cost effective way to, to design a shirt and then buy the shirt.
0: Yeah. So um, we'll post the the Bonfire uh, link on the show notes. So if you want to buy one, you're welcome to buy one.
1: Yeah, and we we priced it at the lowest price point they allowed us to. That way. We don't actually we we make zero dollars. It's it's nothing comes to us at all. It, it's just whatever the fees are for Bonfire. So I, I can't remember how much the sweatshirt is. And I I
0: think it was we, like thirty three or thirty five dollars for a yeah, sweatshirt.
1: Yeah, something like that. So it's it, it's a it's a reasonable price for a shirt. But it's full disclosure. It's got our logo on the back. Yeah. So.
0: But I'm really excited about it because the sweatshirt is like super nice quality. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was very comfortable when I wore it the other day. You know, back when we started fall again. You know,
1: the, the two days after it was ninety degrees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, for reviews, we did receive a review. Emma um, Sparrow um, wrote us a review. It was a two-star review. Um, it's kind of unfortunate. It seemed like it was um, it was targeted at, at our Israel episodes, um, and it seemed we seemed to have offended this uh, this person somehow about our ignorance about certain aspects of Israel and the history of Israel um, and it really felt like the the intention of writing the review is to be hurtful so we won't read the whole review but um, we'll address kind of the main concern that was in there the fact that we didn't do a lot of uh, pre-research into the culture of um, Israel and certain certain aspects of um, of the cultures more more particularly the kibbutz and um and how those all work together. I'm sure everyone that's listening to this is well aware that we spend the majority of our time and the majority of our effort researching the environment and the and the birds and all 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 the stuff that goes into having a great environmental experience. So we don't spend very much time looking at the culture of a thing. We look at the cultural um the cultural tourism as kind of a huge bonus once we arrive. As to see learn, learn from the locals, see what we experience, and it's, it's a it's a surprise, but it's also like this huge extra bonus on top of all of this work that we've spent looking at where we're going to bird, what birds we're going to see, and what different uh, what other different wildlife we're going to see while we're there. So it kind of gives us a clean slate to learn from the locals, but that's kind of where we come from, and I'm sure it's come across in the last 101, 102 episodes that we've p- posted about Hannah and Eric Go Birding. That's what we, that's what we do. We're there to go learn about it, learn about an areas and environmental tourism and then share it with all of you guys.
0: Well, and the person also mentioned that, you know, we seem to only care about birds, food and bathrooms. And I think those are some of the, the, the key things that, you know, we focus on when we travel because bathrooms and food are an important component of traveling to a location. You know, that's an integral part. Yeah. <laughs> and we want to um share. Those are the things that we, you know, decide to share with you all about our experience there. Of course, there's a, a lot of other things that we experience when we travel. And we don't necessarily voice all of them because, you know, if we're traveling for a week, we only have an hour or so to tell you about it. <laughs>
1: yeah, we <laughs> and, we have a 40-minute 40 40, 40 minute to an hour-long episode to try to squeeze... However long we're gone on this trip for into. So yeah, so this is Hannah and Eric Go Birding. And we're going to go birding and tell you guys all about our birding experience in a location. So Hannah had an episode about um, this last week, Women Birders Happy Hour. What? Who did you interview and what, what did you guys drink? Or what did you drink afterwards? <laughs>
0: um, so I interviewed Lottie Glover, who is a researcher and an advocate in the UK. And um, so this episode I... Kind of straight away from the drink aspect or the the bird drink aspect, okay. Because she mentioned something that I had never heard of before, which is an amazing thing that I hope when you and I go to um, bird fair, we Mm -hmm. can go over and do. It's called the waiter spectacular, and so the the cocktail is called a waiter spectacular.
1: It just sounds like a drink, anyways. Getting getting a waiter spectacular,
0: (laughs) and it's waiter as in waiter birds, not like a somebody who brings you food at a restaurant. (laughs) Um, If I don't pronounce that, you know, clearly enough. But it is just this amazing um, phenomenon that happens in a specific place on the eastern um, coast of the UK in one specific RSPB uh, site. In which the, the high tide comes in and it it starts flooding and flooding the mudflats. And so all of the waders that are at this location, they all rise up into the air and they have to move to to escape the high tide as it's coming in. Yeah. And so it's just from what I've looked at, it looks like um, starling murmurations, but of waders, <laughs> but... You know that I might that might be entirely I like wrong like
1: red knots and black red, wings and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Huh. And I'm
0: hoping to convince you to drive uh, us an hour and a half over from Rutland to oh, go yeah. see it uh, because it sounds absolutely amazing. As if
1: it's going to be hard to convince me to go drive somewhere <laughs> to go look at some birds.
0: Well, when we're there, the tide is like at six thirty, so we have to probably leave there at five in the morning yeah probably so anyways (laughs) um yeah so thank you to Lottie for joining me for this episode and exposing me to this amazing thing called the waiter spectacular that I am excited to know more about and then maybe see
1: yeah so speaking about the weeder spectacular and bird fair and all that that is our next trip we are planned to go um our next actual official like Kind of solid in stone trip. <laughs> um, we'd be bird fair. So we're, we're going there um, in a couple weeks from now. What is it? Two weeks now? It's something Three's? like that, yeah. yeah we're, we're getting really close. I'm excited. So we'll, we'll be going over there to... See what all the UK has to offer for birds and bird presentations and all all the stuff the Bird Fair has for us. I'm
0: so excited looking at the schedule and seeing how many names I actually know know. on it. (laughs) It's like, oh, there's going to be friends that I haven't seen for a while. (laughs) Um, But one thing that we might shout out to you all about is that we're going to be going to Amsterdam for one day. We'll have like one day at the end in Amsterdam. Where would you bird in Amsterdam?
1: Yeah, it looks like public public transit isn't an issue. We should be able to get everywhere around pretty easily. You've been to Amsterdam before, so yeah. you're 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 familiar with getting around there. But birding there, we've never we've never birded there. So yeah, no.
0: well, I mean, we do have one list from going flying <laughs> through the airport, but
1: you know, yeah. So if, if any of you guys have any kind of suggestions of where we can bird, and we literally have one day, we yeah. li- we. Have one. It's a full day, but it's just one day. But I was also hoping to take Eric on a cheese tour. A cheese. Oh, I'd love to go on a cheese tour.
0: So, outside of that, a morning birding place. Because
1: um, we still have to go on the cheese tour, obviously. Obviously, obviously that's set in stone. But yeah. everything else is kind of fluid around it. Um,
0: so the other thing we wanted to mention was that we're doing a bonus bird nerd giveaway. Bonus bird nerd giveaway. <laughs> um. So for this bonus bird. It, bird <laughs> giveaway. It um is is sponsored by the National Audubon Society. Yeah. Um they have released their volume two of For the Birds, the Bird Song Project. And we mentioned, I think in one of our May episodes about the release of uh the first of volume. Volume one, yeah. Yeah. So volume two was released a couple days ago. Um, and new volumes will be released throughout the summer each month. Um, but what we want you to do, uh, deadline is July 11th. What we want you to do is... Short turnaround. Yeah. Listen through and tell us what your favorite track is.
1: Yeah. Either from volume one or volume two. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, we found some really unique artists through there. Oh yeah. Many many of the artists there aren't normally songwriting (laughs) artists, um there's Matthew McConaughey reading a poem you've yeah. got uh, Jeff Goldblum was, was I think it was a poem he was reading um but i i'm i'm excited there's got to be a William Shatner in there somewhere but <laughs> the the re- listening through the this the, the ones we listen to is really fascinating and just the different uh the different ways birds are incorporated into um like the audio experience poetry or there there's a few house songs and there was some like classical song. there's all, it kind of goes across every genre of audio entertainment.
0: Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh the ones that we've listened to so far. So the Birdsong project is an exciting outreach, out- outpouring of creativity by more than 200 artists, actors, literary figures and visual artists that came together to create um the the celebration of the joy of birds that they bring to our lives and also to bring attention to the environmental threats that we all face. So Eric mentioned a little bit of it. Eric, did you have a favorite track that you wanted to mention?
1: So mine, I I, I really en- I enjoyed all of them for a v- variety of reasons, but just for just sheer shock value, in my mind it was kind of a tie between the Matthew McConaughey poem mm-hmm. and the Jeff Goldblum. Which they, I, I neither one of them they were um, their own poems. It was they were reading they're reading somebody else's uh, poems, but. Like them reading poems is like you're listening. You have you have a like a, a house song, and then Jeff Goldblum reading that, and then you have a rock song right after it. So it was like the the shock value of all of a sudden you're listening to Jeff Goldblum reading something, and then the same thing with Matthew McConaughey. All of a sudden you're listening to Matthew McConaughey reading a poem.
0: So as I mentioned, the deadline is July 11th. So uh, by that time, please make sure to get us which of your of those tracks is your favorite. And we'll post the link on how to access those tracks um, on the show notes. Yeah. And the w- the randomly selected winner will receive a prize package courtesy of the National Audubon Society that contains a small bag of bird seed, um, a reusable fabric bag, a handkerchief, and a copy of the spring issue of the National Audubon Society. So thank you to National Audubon Society for reaching out um, and collaborating with us on this.
1: Yeah, super cool. So, main story. Main story. What you guys all came here for. We recently went out to a vineyard um, in the Willamette Valley. One of two thousand vineyards that are in the Willamette Valley. Something
0: like that, yeah. So actually, I mean, just to, you dial want to take us, a step back, just to step back a little bit. Um, so I don't know why this just popped into my head, but I was like curious about. You know, you hear so much about like uh, salmon-friendly wines, and then like bird-friendly coffee, yeah. and all this stuff. And I just started thinking, like, I like wine. Um, is there bird-friendly wine? Is there like one wine that I should be drinking because it's bird-friendly? Mm-hmm. And so we like just did some research. There is not a whole lot of information.
1: As far as we could find, there isn't an official certification in our area yeah. for bird-friendly a bird-friendly wine. wine. There's lots of wineries. T- m- most of the wineries in our area are doing things that probably would have them meet a criteria that could be in, or criteria for bird-friendly wine. But there wasn't an official, like, the Portland Audubon doesn't have anything. The National no. Audubon, as far as we could find, doesn't have anything of, like, an actual certification regionally of bird-friendly wines. So
0: Yeah, and there are things that wineries are doing mm-hmm. that are bird-friendly, like like Eric mentioned. Um, and so we just kind of Googled, you know, wine <laughs> vineyards around us yeah. that have deal with bird stuff. And so we found this one uh, vineyard called Raptor Ridge, which we'll talk about. And they do this um, wings over wine program that, and then they do a lot of partnership programs with the Portland Audubon Society. Mm -hmm. And so we figured like, you know, that's going to be kind of our, our sample of what a bird friendly winery would be. And so we reached out to them and uh, we were pleasantly surprised to hear that they were excited to host us.
1: Yeah, they were like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, come come on down. You can interview, that's not not a problem. That'd be fun."
0: Yeah. So um, we kind of made it a day with my sister and one of her friends and I've always, I wanted to go to wine tasting. My sister gets she lives in the Portland area and so she gets to go <laughs> wine tasting a lot, you know, on weekends and stuff, but we don't really have any, that many.
1: We have one, one winery that's like 25 30 minutes south of us and it's just one. Yeah. It's not like we can go from, we can't go winery hopping.
0: <laughs> Which is my new goal in life is to do that more often. Um, so, anyways, yeah, we reached out to them. We made it a day. We went to Raptor Ridge and, uh, and sampled wines and then talked to Wallace, who's their general sales manager for Raptor Ridge Winery, about um, their location and about the, the intersection between wines and birds.
1: Yeah. So, listening to Wallace talk all about. How Wine and Birds Can Get Along.
0: Well, we're so excited to be here with you, Wallace, to talk about Raptor Ridge Winery and all the cool stuff that you all are doing with birds. So, would you please tell us about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Wallace McKeel. I'm the General Sales Manager at Raptor Ridge Winery.
2: So, a little bit about Raptor Ridge. We are a winery that is established in the Laurelwood District subregion of the Chehala Mountains ABA in Oregon, so AVA is an American viticultural area. It's a defining features of soil and climate that make this place particularly good uh, for growing and making wine. We were established by a husband and wife team, Annie and Scott Schall in 95. Our vineyard site sits at an east-northeast aspect at about 450 feet elevation. We plant mostly Pinot Noir and a little bit of Gruner Veltliner, which is an Austrian white wine variety. Our entire site is about 22 acres, of which we have about 14 and a half planted to vine. The rest we keep wild in a riparian zone type fashion to encourage natural wildlife to live and operate around our vineyard site. Um, Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. The little bit else, uh, how we're connected to birds, the name of our vineyard site is Tuscawolemi, which is a native term that means place where the owls dwell. So there is a lot of natural raptor activity out here, mostly concentrated in the mornings and the evenings. But at any given time, you will see various species of birds of prey and other birds out here using and living our facility. We like to encourage that relationship. We are farmed according to the live certified principles. We also guide ourselves by organic farming techniques. Um, to maintain a healthy relationship
0: with the native animals and plants around us. Well, that's awesome, and we did a wine tasting before chatting with you, so if I slur it all, you know, I apologize, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, we did see a couple of red-tailed hawks flying around and a handful of turkey vultures as things were starting to lift off, and then throughout the grapes, you know, there were a lot of white-crowned sparrows. What did we have? end up with uh, I, on think, our-
1: I think I think we're up to, like, 17 species total. We had both goldfinches, American and Lesser. We had white-crowned sparrows, cedar waxwings. All sorts of, like, prairie-ish open species. And then the raptors flying over, and so it was, we, pretty, it was pretty good.
0: We did notice that you didn't have an e-bird hotspot, though, which we can... So, we are so gonna, that'll, that'll get suggested. We're going to nominate you.
1: Yes, please
0: fix that for us. We'd love to be on the trail,
2: people coming in this direction. We do, speaking of, we do like to partner with uh, Symbiotic, bird relationships. So we work closely with a group called Perch, which runs a program called Wings Over Wine. We've done that for several years where we host them. We've done several uh, bird releases, raptor releases at our site. We just had them out a couple weeks ago. Fortunately, there was not a bird that needed to be released. However, they did bring a lot of their birds that are not able to be released out for an educational event alongside wine tasting, which is super great. So uh, it's a fun partnership and we're happy to work with them and all of the proceeds from that event went to them as well. So it was really
0: nice. That's amazing. That's super cool. Yeah, I wish we would have been able to attend that. It sounds like a fun event. Were there a lot of families that come to that? Yeah, we have a lot of folks that come out mostly to
2: see the birds and then maybe club members who want to do wines. but there's a lot of folks that have come out specifically for that event every year. So we've been doing it every year, which is, is really a fun thing to keep going and just bring a different set of people out to visit our winery. So like to encourage that. So we do have a lot of birders come out and use our deck. Uh, especially as the days get longer in the summer mm-hmm. um, we have been open for club members on Thursdays later in the day so people like to come out and watch especially as the activity starts to peak up around dusk we actually call this deck where you were sitting the flight deck <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of
1: nice it works on both sides yeah <laughs> exactly the, the wine flights the bird flights
0: exactly so the Raptor Ridge name, um, tell us a little bit more about that. Were the owners originally, were they interested in birds initially? Right. So uh, Scott Shaw, our founder,
2: is really keen on wild birds, especially the red-tailed hawk is his favorite, and Annie is in love with owls. So it just made sense. We were just fascinated by them and how they work and watching them and having that close relationship with them. So we wanted to kind of... Tow the, the wild species that live and work with us. So all of our labels feature a bird feather. The bird feather itself is tied to the sub-district or the AVA that that fruit is sourced from. Um, so we have examples of different feathers from all around. the All the birds that are Uh, represented on the feathers, have been spotted at our facility, or the feathers have been found here. And the feathers themselves are drawings from a collection of feathers that are hosted
0: at the Portland Audubon Society. That's awesome that you have so many relationships through the birding community. So tell us more about the intersection of wine and birds. Right. Why are we here? <laughs> <laughs> so we love to encourage our natural bird activity
2: here. Uh, as you know, they like to hunt forests, so we don't really have a big rodent problem at Raptor Ridge, which is super great. We also know that there are several species of other smaller birds that like and fancy eating fruit. Um, grapes are fruit, so they taste great, too. <laughs> Um, so our birds out here can help us kind of tant down on the species that might be damaging our crop load in a very symbiotic way. So we don't use any sort of pesticides or a roundup on our plants, not that we would want to anyway. So if even if there were some sort of animal activity, rodent activity, it wouldn't hurt our birds
0: that are snacking on them as well. So, And even though you say, so the property is 22 acres, it doesn't seem like, a huge patch of like a monoculture, yeah. Essentially, of, is what I'm getting at because there is the riparian area just to the one side, Yeah, all on the way down s- to the bottom of the hill. And cool. then there's a, a hazelnuts, right? Is that what you said yeah. over here? And then um, there was a house. There's over cherry in this area. orchards on the one side, and
2: we also like to plant uh, a lot of cover crop that's diverse out here that attracts a lot of insect life. Mm-hmm. So in the mm-hmm. down season between. Uh, harvest seasons, we will plant a series of different cover crops that do several jobs for us. We like to plant uh, daikon radish, which up until we just mowed out here, you would see the white flowers out. Uh, We wanted it to go to seed. The daikon radish does a couple jobs. It does nitrogen fixation for our soil, and it also drills down into the soil to avoid soil compaction. So we do that. You also see out here a little bit of the red or crimson clover popping up. We also have purple dead nettle out here as a cover crop that do a bunch of jobs. They also collect a lot of insect activity, which mm-hmm. further draws more birds to our property. So we're all happy. So for you
1: that. just get more and more birds as the as the years go on, <laughs> as those as those crops. I'm sure
2: that they of... know that we're like a stop by site for them. <laughs> uh, we have seen out here most recently a couple of bald eagles that are fig- figuring out where to make their nest by us since we do have that creek down below our property so we've Mm -hmm. been watching them to see where they might light for the season we just hosted several families we had some robins we had some finches uh, we had some sparrows and we have a couple
0: active hummingbird nests out here as well so all the babies are being born it's very exciting <laughs> do you have any ornithologists or birders come out and do any consulting of how you should uh, plant, you know, the intermediate crops? No, but we would love to. I think the thing that we really want to
2: do next is to install some owl boxes. We do have some mm-hmm. swift boxes uh, closer to the bottom of the hill, but um, who take care of a bunch of insects for us? Because another problem that comes along with making line is root flies. Um, so if we can get the birds that like to snack on the bugs, we like those too. So uh, that is in our our next steps of action here for sustainability. We're very sustainably focused, so we'd like to have places for our birds to live as well.
1: Yeah. So is is there a bird friendly designation that uh, vineyards or wines or um, anything not. like that that can can get like a, uh, an official thing or? You know
0: how there's bird friendly <laughs> coffee. Yeah. Right, I
2: didn't know that. No, I not to my knowledge, not. Uh, uh, a lot of these certifications are bounded by regional authorities. Mm-hmm. I do know that there is a salmon safe certification of which we are part. And all of these are kind of tied within the broader sustainability movement. So yeah. there are organic certifications, there are biodynamic certifications, there are live certified, which is part and parcel of what we do here that also goes into the winemaking practices in the facility as far as eliminating waste or overuse okay. and kind of limiting the carbon footprint. Um, so we we try to abide by and do get certified for live certified. We do the organic farming here, even though we don't host an organic certification um, but at this point, no, we, we don't have uh, a bird certification, but I'm interested in learning more about that. I'm sure that would be great to have. Yeah. I don't
0: know yeah. if there is one. I have it no idea.
1: Have... I was, I was just curious if there was one, but to my knowledge, <laughs> I have not
2: seen that. I feel like out here would be the best place for people to learn and know about that. Yeah. I haven't heard about it yet, but okay.
1: i sure well, you Well, you're one. relatively close to Portland Audubon. I'm sure
2: they're if there, right if on there the was one, yeah,
1: if, if there, if there was one, Portland Audubon probably would have informed you like, I'm sure. Hey, there's this thing you can. Do one extra thing or, or a, file paperwork for. Yeah, exactly. It'd be
2: a great job for somebody to come out and do. I'm sure people people love their certifications on their wine labels. So. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> we'll start
0: that then. There yes. you go. Run that program. Yeah, we'll do that for free for wine. <laughs> we'll hey, we up. love trade. <laughs> so you guys do conservation work um, by, you know, providing housing and food sources for birds. And then you also do education. Is there anything else that, that the winery tries to do to, you know, have a good relationship with wildlife?
2: I think the biggest thing is that education and exposure aspect.
0: Uh, We are pretty close to Portland, so
2: we are inevitably, a lot of times what we hear is, this is my first time wine tasting. I didn't realize Mm. how close you were. So it gives people an opportunity to come out and experience um, being close to a working farm or a mixed agricultural environment that's in good driving distance to where they live without having to go the whole way of going on a hike or not knowing where to go gives them something to experience and do and at the same time really experience the animals around us because we do get a lot of bird activity all the birds that you saw out here today that kind of live and habitat here gives people this really kind of closeness feeling which we really appreciate. yeah. So I think that would be the biggest thing is that we're a close stop to the urban environment for people who want to experience a little bit of outdoorsiness and don't know where to start.
1: Cuz yes, I think we were like it was like a 20 minute drive? Something maybe, uh, yeah. from from Tualatin to here. Yeah. So we, which is where we were staying overnight last night. So it's not it's super close to that which is one of the suburbs of Portland, Oregon. So it's right. super real real close to all that stuff, Sherwood, Tiger, Tualatin. Right. Lots 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 of people the that live metro. there. The Portland metro area is Less than a half hour out from
0: that. And I feel like, you know, the whole wine, the the valley, the Willamette Valley being a wine destination is is still really up and coming. You know, everybody hears about Napa, but we're starting to finally get um, guests at our hotel that we own on the coast that are like, oh, yeah, I came to Willamette Valley for wine tasting. We're like, we didn't even know that was a thing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so it's...
0: are there trails that people, like, you know, wine trails yes. in this area for
2: people? So we partner closely with a group called the Willamette Valley Wineries Association. They're kind of the the parent not-for-profit that everybody likes to be a member of because they do a lot of promotion and drum beating for us to get a lot of uh, information out there. But you're right. So Oregon, as far as wine growing areas of the world are, is concerned, Um, is significantly younger than a lot. It is not the youngest by far. Our history goes back in early days, but official current record is kind of in the mid-60s is when we start really getting the industrial version or the, the... qualitative version of of wholesale winemaking out here and has grown ever since. It is still very much a vibrant and growing place for wine culture. Um, As we mentioned, we are in the Laurelwood subdistrict of Chehala Mountains. So Chehala Mountains is this broader district that we're in. It's kind of like the nesting, you know, Russian nesting doll version. Uh, And that was established in 2019. Even within the last year, we had two or possibly three new designations of special places for wine to grow uh that were carved out by hmm. by the government which is great so these are pe- long petitions that you have to go through to say that my place is special or my hill or my soil type or what have you is a special and distinct piece that tells the story of broader oregon wine so it is very much a growing and changing uh environment so we were here in uh established our winery in 95 which it's still fairly early, you know, and at that time there weren't maybe 200 wineries in the whole Willamette Valley, and now there's over 2,000. So wow. Oh my gosh, I didn't that many. <laughs> it's incredible, so it's growing. I'd encourage you to take a look at the maps on the on the wall over here. Those mm-hmm. maps were from 2010, and it still doesn't quite tell the story of the vineyards that are still being planted and the growth that's happening. The good thing is we're still figuring out what types of varieties. We're still very much in this experimental period of wine growing, which is lovely. We do know, of course, that Pinot Noir is king and that works for us. Chardonnay and a few other white wines, of course, are getting their own uh, claim to fame as well. But we still have a lot of people that are interested in growing and learning and trying new things out here. So it, unlike the Napa Valley or the Sonoma Valley, we are not necessarily hard and fast and cut and dried of like what we do. And there's, of course, a varying degree of types of of winery experiences you can have. It's not all the same. We like our kind of cozy, um, you know, homey feel winery that Mm -hmm. we feel is very traditional for Oregon. But yeah, you can experience any number of types of tasting experiences in the Lima Valley. So we like that we were here on the early side of things and continue to grow and evolve and be relevant. Uh, But we like to think that we are maintaining that true Oregon sense here.
0: And I feel like you really get that, you know, you get the like environmental aspect and, and feeling, like you said, it's really cozy. I was telling Eric earlier the only other vineyard I'd been to before coming here was um geez, I was you know, it's gotta be 12-15 years ago. And it was somewhere near Salem and it was like a big warehouse. Like it was not very comfortable. It was like an Easter brunch that we had there <laughs> in their like their bay. They had like set up a couple like little stovetops and everything. Uh, but this is just it's a gorgeous view that you have here you know it's good wine a really cozy atmosphere I was so excited to see that you had raptor bird guides I don't know if you guys just got them out because we were coming No, I live there (laughs) but that that's just so neat to see you know how you've incorporated the the Oregon like environmentalist aspect of of that with the wine
2: right so we do have a big knack for sustainability here it goes from not only the farming practices we do, but also what we do here inside the winery and in the cellar. We like to have, so all of our gardening and landscaping is native plants that are able to be dry farmed, so there's no irrigation. There's no irrigation that we use on any of our property. Wow. So we like to keep ourselves in line with the standards for wine, uh, water use. Um, And also, uh, it goes all the way to uh, the chemicals we use as far as cleaning surfaces are concerned. It goes to uh, the reusable hand towels in the bathroom, just limiting our carbon footprint as much as we can, all the way down to our packaging. So our packaging is actually recycled glass. It's a low-weight glass, um, so it doesn't cost that much to have the glass shipped to us or to ship it to market. So... Uh, there are all aspects that go into the broader sustainability that is very Oregon for sure.
1: <laughs> so when you when you say low weight glass, is that like like thinner walled glass yeah. so that okay, I, so I had no idea many, that there different size, yeah, different there's different sizes, different thicknesses All for glass different types of glass you can buy
2: in in the current market where we're having supply issues, it's always it's always been a challenge, but it's extremely challenging now. Uh, to purchase glass. So you can have different molds of glass, different colors of glass, mm-hmm. different grades of glass, and of course different weights. And it's all up to the winery that can determine that kind of thing that they want. Also about closures, etc. You know, so we use a Stelvin closure, which for a few reasons is sustainable. So the aluminum is usually sourced from California or the United States. The Stelvin is the screw cap closure okay. um, versus the cork closure because cork is an organically farmed product from a Portuguese cork tree, right? So okay. it's a water intensive process in its own right. You have to clean it, parse it, you know, mold it, ship it, treat it. Um, the other thing is that cork can be fallible. It can host a series of bacterial infections inside it that invariably can affect your final wine that you put a lot of time, love, and energy to. And invariably, 1 in 12 to 18 bottles of a cork-finished wine will be bad due to what's called cork taint, or TCA, which is an infection that can occur from cork. And we don't make that much wine, so in a big year, we may make ten thousand cases of wine, which is on the significantly small side of medium or the high side of small, depending on how <laughs> you look at it. Um but we have lot sizes that range from fifty cases all the way up to maybe our largest most like commercial wine, which is like maybe fourteen hundred cases, mm-hmm. so not a Your ton time. of wine. Um, But invariably, we like to kind of hover right around 100 case lots for things. So if you're only making 100 cases of a wine and maybe, you know, a portion of that, a 12th of that, or a 10th of that is bad due to a cork issue, that's not sustainable for us. It's a waste um, of all of that effort, and Mm -hmm. it's bad for our customers. So the other good thing that's good for birding and outdoor culture is you don't need a tool to open our wine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you, yeah. Can take, you can
1: take it on a hike, and you don't have to carry extra stuff.
2: That's right. <laughs> we've gotten many places before and realized we don't have a wine key. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame it doesn't come with it. Ours comes prepared and ready to go, so no <laughs> worries there. Yeah. So we've gotten really good at the stealth enclosure, as uh, the fancy name for the screw cap, um, to include there is like an air pad that lives in the top of, of the capsule there, and we have engineered that over the series of, of years and gotten really good at it mimicking Cork aging, so you can age these hmm. wines. A lot of folks think that wine under screw cap is meant to be consumed immediately, but we've been doing wine under screw cap since uh, 2011, I think, is our first year, hmm. and the wines are fantastic. So all the way hmm. through. So um, yeah. Do you, do you have anything. to
1: like purge the bottle of oxygen or anything to? Is it, is, isn't that what makes the wine turn is the exposure to oxygen and it breaks down?
2: We want mild oxygen interaction, micro-oxygenation. Okay. It's more or less mimicking the same process of a wine aging in barrel. Mm-hmm. So small oxygen transference, which helps age the wine over time. Okay. So you want a little bit, which is what the cork generally does. It provides this just, very just a tiny respiration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now our salve enclosures can do that as well. Oh, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's fantastic. But yes, Science. whenever you are bottling a wine... Or making a wine, we do everything possible to keep a finished wine away from oxygen. Because like any fruit, if you expose it to oxygen, it will brown or bruise or mm-hmm. kind of rust, right? Because oxygen is corrosive. Yeah. Um, and so we do we do, do a process called sparging the glass where we put a neutral noble gas, usually argon, into the bottle that's heavier than air. Um, so okay. it'll provide a head a head space for that wine while it's getting filled. Hmm. Yeah, Fascinating. Hmm. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I can't think of any other questions <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> on yeah, the bottle. I mean, it just I, I, I've never had a chance to talk to somebody about the bottle and the what, what what goes into bottling yeah, the wine. There's so. a
2: lot of steps in the process <laughs> of making wine. Um, it is an inherently fun and magical experience that you know kind of dances around science and art. And um, you know, it's an agricultural product. It's 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 farming. It's maybe glamorous farming for some folks, but it's farming. Yeah. Um, It's all up to what Mother Nature gives us that determines what we can do that year. So we're up to the elements. I mean, I think the one thing that's really lovely about being in the wine culture, especially in Oregon, is that you are inherently tied to nature because you're watching the weather every day, (laughs) every day, right? So we're making decisions about when we're going to prune our vines or when we're going to do certain processes um, completely based on weather And, of course, that goes down to even harvesting. You know, you can't set your watch and say, in 100 days from now, we're going to harvest, right? Um, You watch your weather. You watch your time. You watch your water. You watch your rain. um, And you will go out and sample the clusters um, and do this really romantic thing where we put them in a Ziploc bag and we squish them up and we let them sit for a little while. And we (laughs) test them to see if the sugars and the acids are balanced where we want them to be. Hmm. Um, and then it's a very mad dash where we're trying to dial it to this perfect ripeness of balances of acids and sugars in the grapes. And then we'll call the picking crews and schedule our pick to come out and bring all the fruit in and, and process it. And then, yeah, it's a really lovely, magical experience of just interacting with the wine on a daily basis, um, and, and tasting things and seeing the progress and uh yeah it's, it's a lovely thing if you haven't come to do a harvest you should
0: definitely do it <laughs> yeah it sounds like fun we'll have to try that sometime yeah thank you so much for having us out yeah, we you. really appreciate it and for teaching us all this really fascinating stuff yeah and uh send
2: people our way get us set up as like a hot spot send birders our way we'd love to host a group or do something out here with like bird watching and wine tasting and don't know why we couldn't, uh, especially when the days are clear. I'm sorry it was a little hazy out today. Otherwise, but hey, the mountains out. out for it. It's, <laughs> it's not raining. <laughs> no, do,
1: do you guys have a social media or website that people can follow you on?
2: Absolutely. It's www.raptoridgewinery.com. Also, we're on Instagram, at Raptor Ridge Winery um facebook raptor ridge winery it's all the same cool. so look out for us we host a uh, varying degree of fun events upcoming um we have uh the release of our estate gruner about happening so we're doing a gruner and oyster pairing happening this weekend um, we're having some live music events coming for the remainder of the summer so check out the events page on there and see if there's something you like to come do awesome, awesome. Yeah. thank you
0: so much you're welcome Thank you so much, Wallace, for, for joining us to share more about Raptor Ridge Winery and about how birds and wine can coexist.
1: Yeah, so we had a ton of fun out there. We made, I, The whole time we were out there, we were sitting there sipping on wine, watching raptors fly over us, red tails, red shoulders. Um, I think there was a handful of vultures. There was ton, tons of different species of birds flying around. The white-crowned sparrows were calling literally the entire time we were we were sitting there enjoying the flight deck the our, our ebird list came out to 22 species so there was a handful of things like pigeons and morning doves that you kind of expect like all over the place but some of the things that like surprised me we had uh lots of american goldfinches a couple lesser goldfinches that were hanging out like in in the grapes like in in the great the grape plants themselves mm-hmm. and then the cedar waxwings which i'm sure wallace wasn't super Super happy to know that there were cedar waxwings <laughs> out there. I mean, they're berry eaters, so they're gonna they're gonna go after the grapes. But uh...
0: but like the cool thing about it, like so normally when I think of a winery, like you know, I grew up in Oregon, so I mm-hmm. drive through like wineries oh, all the time. on I five, yeah. and I think of them as these huge expanses that are just kind of a monoculture of of grapes growing on lines. Yeah, and when we got there, that. Like that was not what it was at all. Like, I mean, sure, there's grapes and it growing on vines and wires and everything. Mm-hmm. But there's also there was a stream at the bottom that I think Wallace might have mentioned. Yeah. There was a lot of habitat like at the the winery itself and then throughout um like the rows the grape rose.
1: Yeah, so all throughout the entire the what what she was calling cover crops were underneath the the in in the rows where you would walk to be able to pick and be able to do maintenance on the grape plants themselves Mm -hmm. there was it was basically the entire ground is covered in ground cover and they would plant different clovers and different uh plants that were very um insect friendly that would attract birds and attract other things that could then pollinate help pollinate the grapes or just create a better uh soil environment for the grapes to grow so Mm -hmm. it's a lot of it's self-serving because it helps the grapes grow better and make makes them flourish and all that stuff. But by them flourishing, it allows the environment that they're in to flourish. So it's rather than just pounding them full of Roundup and and fertilizers and stuff like that, you you let nature do its thing and take advantage. Like you just do the little bit of enhancement to the soils with these purposefully planted plants to enhance what the grapes are going to do anyways, so...
0: And, you know, I thought it was so cool how much education she had about like the specific location of the <laughs> vineyard. Like I realized how little I actually know about wine when we were there because she was talking about like it's on this slope and it's in this soil type and all this stuff. And it's just incredible how much thought goes into starting the vineyard and about those specific wines.
1: Oh yeah, I I thought it was really fascinating. Like, I I know, I I knew beforehand that I know nothing about wine Mm -hmm. and about vineyards, and I, I was just excited to go out there and see how much how much knowledge we could get from from Wallace and she is just so full of information it was, yeah. it was really cool
0: yeah so cool and we were so glad that we had a chance to go out there and see all of this amazing you know beauty of the location and also just sit there enjoy a great glass of wine and look out over the horizon and see hawks and vultures just flying in the distance like yeah. that was one of my most favorite parts was just sitting there enjoying it
1: well and, and some of them weren't so distant we had that <laughs> We had the red tail right over our head for a little while.
0: Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, So, after we went to that vineyard and had a fabulous time, my sister and her friend were like, Can we go to another one?
1: We're not done. (laughs)
0: And Eric and I had other things to do that day, and we we're like, okay,
1: <laughs> sure,
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go to another one. Because as Wallace, I, I think, mentioned, you know, there's there's hundreds of thousands.
1: There, there's over 2,000 yeah. wineries in the Willamette Valley now, or in the northern Willamette Valley, I think is all she's re- referencing. So it's this, it's this area that isn't really that large, but all these individual areas that are separated by sometimes different types of farms, but just tons of vineyards, mm-hmm. thousands of vineyards in, in, in one area.
0: Yeah. So we were just kind of looking at the map, trying to figure out which one to go to. And there was one that was right around the corner that we decided to stop at. Um, it was called, it's called Alora Vineyard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because Eric and I were really kind of thinking about this episode and how we're going to portray the the vineyards and all that. And just the juxtaposition of the different, uh, vineyards was really interesting so the next one we went to was mm-hmm. Lauro, and you know we were really trying to um, think about Raptor Ridge and how it compared to this other one that we went to and it was so interesting that that second vineyard the Lauro one mm-hmm. it looked like they had just picked it up out of Italy and dropped and it off in plop, the Willamette Valley yeah I mean the the buildings looked Italian and all of the vegetation around it just looked like a picture of what you would see in like rolling Italian hills with, with wine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was, Alora was a whole different, uh, way that they kind of portray themselves. There's like Hannah said, it's very Italian, very like, um, courtyard-esque and then down, down inside the vineyard, you could see it was, um, it, it didn't it didn't have the additional cover crops that were um, growing b- beneath the grapes and then um, a little bit further down they had all their sheep yeah <laughs> which I, I think they I think they did uh, sheep's milk cheese and stuff well but...
0: and then they had talked about the honey that they uh, were giving oh, yeah. bees so then mm-hmm. they could have you know that would pollinate the plants and also yeah, yeah, they yeah. could have their own honey that they they'd provide on like the shacury plates
1: yeah yeah, so it was, it was two two like completely different styles of experiences mm-hmm. between the two um, between the two vineyards. So it was it was really interesting. Yeah. So, any, anyways, I, I I recommend going to to either winery. Raptor Ridge was a lot of fun because mm-hmm. um, of the whole the whole bird thing. But then Alora was interesting because of the like feeling like you're in Italy thing. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I don't even think we talked about how Raptor Ridge they had a whole section, and I think I maybe I joked about this. They had a whole uh, bird book section yeah. in. Inside, okay. I was like, oh, did you put that out just for us? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it was really cool, you know, to see how they have um, tried to influ- get birds integrated into what they do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it made me feel good about drinking their wines and going there, and I want to go again.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, so this is technically the first episode of our fifth season. So... I think we should probably do what we normally do in the first episode: is um, play back all of our secret question answers. Okay. So um, we've had four years of doing this. We have four episodes. This would be our fourth episode of Secret Questions.
0: I guess so. Yeah,
1: it would be fourth episode of Secret Questions that we've had. Um, so throughout the whole year, all of our guests um, that we have on, or as much as we try, we we try as much as possible to remember to do it. Um, but we ask them a secret question. We mix it up each year. Got to ask a different secret question that's usually fairly similar, but it's a slightly different question. Um, This year we asked everyone to describe a birder. How do they describe a birder? Mm
0: -hmm. Here's the compilation of how those people answered that. So Freya, Virginia, how do you describe a birder?
3: I have to defer to Freya. So I I am on a personal mission um, to redefine birding. As an Australian, bird watchers, we were bird watchers, my parents were bird watchers, and um, birder was all nice and good, but it was not a very American word, and that's okay, we're just Australians. But um, I have been living in the US for a couple of years, and um, I think that birding should be redefined as the act of enjoying wild birds, because not everyone watches birds. Um, and if we... there's a, There's been this historic... In the US this historic differentiation between birders and bird watchers and if we can all just be birders we can all start in the same place and there's no hierarchy there's no like well, ones more serious and more legitimate than the other so if birding is the act of enjoying wild birds then anyone who does that is a birder in my book whether you have optics whether you go to bird festivals whether you walk whether you even know what they're called it doesn't even matter if you enjoy wild birds, as far as I'm concerned, you're better.
0: Nope. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Teacher Tom, please tell us, how do you describe a birder?
1: How do I describe a birder? Uh, to students, I always just say anyone who enjoys birds and likes observing birds and learning about birds. I think that would be my answer for anyone at this point, because... I think some people are hesitant to use the word birder if they're not like, you know, have all the equipment and spend all their free time doing it. But I feel like anyone with a bird feeder or who pays attention to birds and notices them, I think they're a birder in my book.
0: So Sarah, David, how would you define a birder?
2: Um, I would define a birder as uh, anybody that's interested in birding. uh, But I would, I would, Qualify that by saying I would think there is a difference between bird watchers and birders. And to me, bird watchers are more um general, maybe not as serious, still have an interest in birds, but they might not be, um, you know, really interested in chasing or learning about migration patterns or things like that. Whereas birders uh are maybe a little more hardcore. Uh, will go out and go storm birding, whereas a bird watcher may try to avoid the storms. Um, but the birder might be just a lot more serious and, I guess, goal focused and more of a lister, I guess I would say i would say i wouldn't have a simple definition of birder and that would just be anybody who enjoys observing birds um and it could be as simple as just looking out your backyard window and and looking at the birds on a bird feeder and whether you identify them or not just watching them um, i think is the only qualification to to make you a birder um and it's a spectrum you know you have the those that are going to go chasing birds and go storm birding. And then the ones that just want to, you know, look out their window and see whatever's there. So to me, I like the simple definition.
1: How do you describe a birder?
0: Oh, that's a good question. How I would describe a birder would be someone
2: that is happiest when they are outside in the presence of nature with a specific emphasis on
1: seeing and hearing the birds around them.
0: So Eric, yeah. How would you describe a birder?
1: So I I can't remember who which one of the question answers said this, but I initially before we before we asked anyone, my my initial thought before we even asked anybody was kind of along the lines of a birder is any anybody that is kind of like devoted is going to spend time looking at birds Mm -hmm. Um, and the kind of fading off of the bird watcher as being more of an antiquated term. But, but after hearing like Freya's answer, like that it would be, maybe maybe she didn't say it in the answer. Maybe it's just a conversation with her, but that it's a more inclusive term to use birder rather than bird watcher um, for those that are visually impaired or anything like that. So I, I feel like it's just a more inclusive and more, um, a, a better term a more accurate term to just say that you're a birder and so anybody anybody that looks at a bird that's how i would describe a birder Any anybody that is aware of birds and enjoys them at any level that's how i describe a birder what about you hannah how how would you describe a birder
0: i should have gone first <laughs> you just <laughs> took everything i took everything
1: yeah
0: oh my gosh um I guess I would describe birder, I mean, similarly. You know, this isn't a problem. You and I share a brain, so...
1: It's, you, you can have it for a few minutes.
0: <laughs> What's the point? You already said it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so I I would agree that I would describe a birder as someone who cares about birds and enjoys viewing them and likes to learn about them. I don't, I don't feel that a birder has to know the name of all the birds. They don't have to you know, know all of the habitats and they don't have to know, you know, everything about birds to be able to enjoy and appreciate them. Um, this is something that Eric and I think about a lot, or at least I think about with, when I have the brain, I think about (laughs) I think about it a lot because there's so many people like I interview on my women birders podcast, or, you know, we've chatted with that are like, well, I'm not a birder. But then they, like, impress me with, like, all of the stuff that they know about birds. Mm-hmm. And they'll have an eBird account. And then they'll be like, I'm not a birder. And it's like, well, who told you you're not a birder? Because you definitely sound and seem and feel like a birder. So I I don't feel that I can tell someone they are or not a birder. You know, it has to come from them. But I want everyone to, you know, feel that they're comfortable Describing themselves as a birder if they want to.
1: Yeah. I like that. I agree.
0: Long roundabout answer. Yeah. Anybody who can be a birder if you want to.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I don't have an idea for next year's secret question yet. Um, But I think that if anybody listening, if you either want to answer that question, um, how do you describe a birder, post it on, on our social medias. Or if you have an idea of what our question should be for next year. Then send send us a message about that so it's kinda of private. So it's, Yeah, so, private message so it's, that one. So that one's secret. <laughs> so like so it can continue to be a secret question if it's if, if if you have an idea of what the secret question could be for next year. And we'll we'll try to remember to ask every single person that we that we interview for the next year. But uh
0: but we'll also post on our Facebook yes. so you can tell us how you describe a burger e- Exactly. And just before we close it out, yeah. I just want to say thank you again to Wallace and Raptor Ridge Winery for having us come out and uh, talk to you about wines and mm-hmm. learn from you. It was just a really enjoyable experience. And also I want to thank the national Audubon society for collaborating with us on this bird nerd giveaway. So make sure to um, listen into the tracks that they have for volume two of uh, For the Birds, the bird mm-hmm. song Project, and send us your answer.
1: By July 11th. Yep. So thank you guys all for listening to our podcast. Hope you enjoyed it and or learned something new. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, or anywhere else that you can find us. Um, if you'd like to connect with us on the socials, please follow us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding on Instagram. Two different accounts, Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding. Um, on our Facebook page, Hannah and Eric Go Birding. On our Twitter, at We Go Birding. On our TikTok, Hannah and Eric Go Birding. You can email us at Hannah and Eric Go at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, www.gobirdingpodcast.com. Tell us what you like, tell us what you hate, and share us with your friends.